Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on ChumbaCasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere, even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's ChumbaCasino.com and live the Chumba life. No purchase necessary. VGW. Void. We're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. From the Fifth Quarter Studios in Madison, Wisconsin, you're listening to Coach Unplugged. And now, your host, Steve Collins. Hey everybody, happy Tuesday, episode 728 of Coach Unplugged. Uh, this is part one of two parts. We're going to talk to Coach Walsh today, junior college coach. His journey is, I mean, I, I was going to break it up into three. It's almost two hours worth. We're going to break it up into two podcasts. It's great. You're going to really enjoy it. Um, but before we do jump into that, I'd like to give a big shout out, first of all, to Dr. Dish. The easiest, most efficient way to work on your shot is a Dr. Dish shooting machine. Bar none. Mention Coach Unplugged, they'll give you $350 off. Also, go over and check out teachhoops.com for coaches who want to get better. There's lots of great resources out there. There's lots of noise. What I have spent the last six months doing is not doing all that. I have tried to make teachhoops.com a one-stop shop. I've set up a roadmap where there's preseason stuff, there's postseason stuff, there's in-season stuff. There's resources. You maybe you want to watch clinic stuff. Maybe you want to learn on offenses. That's what I have been spending the last six months on uh, in quarantine. I think it would be worth it. Go over and check it out before prices increase. You're going to want to jump in. Um, I, I think you're still in that window. We're, we're coming up on the, on the point where the prices are going to be going up. So make sure you go over and check it out. And let's head off to the podcast. All right. Welcome to Coach Unplugged. Um, so Dan and I have been talking for probably 15 minutes and I finally had to stop us so we could put some of this on air because I lose too much of the good stuff in, in the pre-interview. But Dan, I introduce yourself and what I'd like you to do, I'm going to take a couple, I'm going to take a couple of drinks of my coffee here and I'm going to have you just kind of go through your basketball journey, um, where you started, how you got hooked in this great game and where we kind of are sitting right now and where you are right now. And then um, we'll, uh, we'll go from there. So it's all yours. Well, thanks, and, and first of all, thanks for having me on. And, and uh, but it, and it has been a journey. Uh, you know, I, I'm one of the. I guess when I was coming growing, coming into coaching, it was kind of typical of what coaches went through. There's a lot of different stops. But I, you know, I knew in high school that I wanted to be a college coach. 
Uh, it was just something that athletics always meant. It was very important to me. I really enjoyed my coaches at the high school level, with the exception of my father, were the most influential people in my in my life. And so uh, it was something I thought I would like to do. I was very fortunate. Uh, my first job was with my old high school. My 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 last high school coaches. I played for four different coaches in high school. Oh my at god! At Catholic High School, um, John oh, Shell. <laughs> Who was a great old Wisconsin player right. back in the '60s was my was the varsity coach my freshman year. Then I had a new guy my second year. So anyway, long story short, the coach my senior year he gave me my first job at Quincy Notre Dame High School in Quincy, Illinois. A lot of people in the Midwest may know something about Quincy, but Quincy's a basketball hotbed. Um, and so our principal me, went there. My high school principal, Milton Lake Pike, I, I believe, went to Quincy. So yes, he did. Yeah, um, I remember, yeah, I remember hearing about Quincy all the time. And Milt was, they named the field house after him. Milt was, a, um, Milt was a great guy. He could just, I mean, I've used some of his tactics. He could literally look across, like we have a mall open area. He could look at you and you'd be like, like, oh, it wasn't yeah. mean, but it was like, oh, Mr. McPike's mad at me. Don't exactly. Big guy, strong, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. And so... You know that was it, it, just going to work for my old my 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 old high school coach was an unbelievable experience because obviously for one thing I knew kind of some of the things he expected uh, right. and how, what he was like and so with the players I could share some things with him because it wasn't that far removed and the one thing he kept me involved when I was because I told him when I graduated I wanted to be a coach he would call on me I went to school at Eau Claire but he would call me and say, hey, listen, we're going to play this team next week. I want you to go watch the game and scout it for me. So I got an early start. Ooh, that's I, good. I, was, I was very fortunate. But. I, I tell I, – well, first of all, you and I are, are like old porch dogs. So we, we've had to sit and watch more tape than these young pups. Because, Absolutely. Absolutely. <laughs> just because it wasn't up in a cloud somewhere they could watch on their phone. Yeah. So and, and I always tell the story of the two VCR tapes and the thing. And, oh, my God. Like, I'm still – Oh, absolutely. Tape to tape. Oh, my God. It was like – and I was a high school coach. I didn't have the expensive equipment. So I was literally like, it was crazy. But anyway, so I think for a young coach listening, that's the thing is you got to watch tape and you got to watch it with a critical eye, not just the analytics and all the stuff that huddles kicking out and all mm -hmm. that. Um, I think there's a great learning curve that happens. I've watched so much for you and I probably have watched three lives worth of tape um, in our lives. So, but you learn a lot doing that a lot. No question. I tell you the other thing where I thought, where I really learned something about coaching before I ever coached was doing live scouting reports and going and watching. Um, I think that really helped me jumpstart my coaching career because I'd already done it. But even when I first started, you, you live scouted. Um, right. Yeah. The thing so is, you, it's different. It's different too. Like I have a rule that I, I mean, I spent I, a lot of my scouting goes to one of my assistants right now, but I have to see somebody in person first. Absolutely. Because it's so different. Michael Jordan looks different on a TV than he did in person. Trust me. There's, there's no question about it. You know, it's in, in, in the, I'm recruiting is the same way. Right. You can see kids in film, but you don't get a real true or true evaluation until you actually see them in person. Right. Um, you know, quickness, athleticism, things like that doesn't always register on, on the video. So, so before we go on to your, to your journey here, this is what I was going to talk about. So I stopped this before we got two things first of all how do you as a recruiter take care of all the noise because when i go to a gym and there's four games going on i can pick out the best player and i can pick out maybe the best three players but 
especially for a program like yours, you're not going to get the best three players in that gym probably. Yeah. How, do you, how do you take care of the noise, first of all, um, with all those players? What do you, what, what, how do you get rid of – how do you narrow it? Well, <laughs> what I do is, is I go in there with a mindset, first of all, I'm out there to watch a game. Because I think coaches start watching the game and not kind of focusing on the players. I've been with guys that – one of my old bosses used to be that we, we go to the game – and you start complaining about the referees and right. and I I wouldn't even know because right. I focus on I focus on the guys I'm there to see or the guys that I've heard about. Okay. And and watch them specifically. So that gives me the ability to block everything out and pl- parents included. Um, I I separate myself a little bit, try to get away from the crowd, which helps too. Um, obviously, some nights you can't do that because it's a sellout. Right. Um, but there's many nights where I can go and sit right in the front row and watch the kid. But I watch the specific player or players. I watch them specifically, but also I'm able to like somebody else might on the other team or whatever. It might all of a sudden catch your eye. Right. I, here's you know? what I do. And I'm looking like even in an open gym for us with young, I'm watching off the ball. I'm watching how they're interacting with their teammates. Right. I'm watching, you know, I can tell, like, I would no way I would recruit that kid because mm-hmm. look how he kind of, like, he's not working hard the whole time. He's only working when he has the ball. Mm-hmm. I mean, there's some, there's some, pers- I mean, there's some things that you can kind of tell. Um, I watch, anytime he goes to the bench, I watch him right away for what you just mentioned. But then I watch And they him don't off. think that. Those, those, guys, those 16 to 18-year-olds, no way they're thinking that. No. And then I watch what they do on the bench because some will mope. And that's right then and there. They've already, they've already been scratched off the list. And, right. and, I, and the thing, and it, you know, we ha- I, we're the old dogs. I believe in being honest. Right. I don't sugarcoat it. So I'll, tell, I'll usually tell their coach first, hey, listen, I, I don't think he's going to be a good fit here. Because of his body language on the bench, his body language during timeouts, his lack of focus or paying attention to you when you talk, I said those are all negatives, and we don't we don't deal with them. so those are all. You're right, and then you know it's kind of a I learned my first coach that I worked for at the college level. One of the things we did, we would always get there early, and we would wander the halls and look for the janitor and people that worked there to find out what they thought of the kid because they can tell you everything. You know that anybody maintenance or custodians. Uh, secretaries, uh, people like that, they can tell you everything about any player in the school. And so, yep. That's and, and, and I'll add one because I've seen this interaction with my son too. I, the security guards, like the oh, security absolutely, guards. those guys too, absolutely. Those, those three, oh yeah, like, those three. I guarantee you can all mention my son. Like if they don't, then I would have issues with him. But well, if, on that's that's because those guys, because you're they're one of the first people you see when you come in the building, and a lot of times. They will. They'll say, "Hey, coach, uh, who you here? Who you here to see tonight?" Or, "Oh, you're here to see tonight." Boy, I tell you, he's a great kid. Or right. they'll they'll tell you right away. They'll give yeah. you the information, and right. and, and it's obviously it's reliable information because they 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 are looking at those young people in a different way. Right. There's no hidden agenda there. There's yeah. none whatsoever. And so. So you're okay. So let's get back. So that that good. That I wanted to get to that because I that was a question I had. Um, because the person we were talking about, I've seen good interactions in that right. window. And that's, that's where I was going with that. All right, and go ahead. Part, and that's a big part for us because how they interact with their teammates is really important. We, we want, you know, again, we're going off a little bit. We want kids that are willing to play with each other and play for each other. That you, think that's hard, you think that's harder than it was 20 years ago? I think so. Okay. I think it really is. I think the game, the way the game's played 
it's so it's so much with the ball domination and, and one-on-one things and isolation stuff that kids basically think that what do I have one of the reasons we were so good this year is we were completely the opposite our players played for each other they would make the next play the extra play the extra pass the one more as some people call it and we were always getting great shots because of that. We did that. We had a team like that this year too, and it's like, oh my god, it's like it's like lightning in a bottle in that. It really hockey. is. And we and we we didn't do as well as we wanted, but we had a good season. But it's like when everybody's kind of like on the same page, and and I tell them you're going to get seen more when that happens. Like absolutely, no question <laughs> about it. You're going to get more accolades. We're going to win more. More coaches are going to see you. Da 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 da. It's all good. Exactly right. Me. Exactly right. Okay, so so your co- your high school coach had you involved watching film. That that's where we got. Well, off. that was my start. You know, and as a matter of fact, one of the first players I ever saw play as a, and I was scouting this team was Brad Soderberg. His dad was the coach of Stevens Point Pacelli. Oh, you don't know came, Brad, Brad's very well known. Yeah, a little bit in the state of Wisconsin. Absolutely. You think Brad would take the Green Bay job? You know, I don't know. I've heard his name mentioned. I've heard I have too. Mentioned. I think part of it is is, um, you know. If he wants to be a head coach again, if that's in his, if that if right, that's because I think his kids, speaking. I think his kids are gone. Yeah, I believe all the, I, th- I believe they're all out of the house now. Yeah. Right, so it's like one of those things. Well, do I go do this? It's kind of a retirement thing, you know. It's my last, like, yeah, it's home state and there's some state. things obviously in Tony. With oh the shit! The, I mean, the thing is with Brad, Brad could recruit the state. You know what I mean? And so, and that's it's important because you know when I worked at Green Bay with Todd, that was the one thing. Even before I gave came there I knew that but recruited the state Kids I mean, all, half, a bunch of our guy, a lot of our guys are on, on that team were from the state of Wisconsin and, right uh, you can and, win we've gone and won two national tournaments in the winter just because Wisconsin kids can play can. we might not make ESPN highlight tapes we can play exactly but, right and that's the one thing that's changed from when I was a high school guy or a college guy to now because Wisconsin basketball wasn't very good right Back in those years, but then you know, obviously we had it. We had the singular, you know, the Wolves. Joe Wolf is a, a great high school player. Right, went out of state. You right. know, we had that, and then obviously things have changed a lot since then because of, you know, Randolph's Bullies Club and and uh, and. Uh, I mean, look at all the, look at all the guys that we had. I mean, literally Wesley and and Land. All absolutely, those guys, all those yeah, guys absolutely. could play. That that oh that like oh four oh five oh six, and they were you know like. Keaton was a Mr. Basketball. Wisconsin got him. You know, Jerron ended up going to Marquette. But I mean, those in state was working them hard. Tom Crean worked Wesley hard. Like, absolutely. And you know, they're going to let him go. The thing about the state now is that there's a lot of good. There's a lot of good basketball players now, and there's and I'd say I mean there's a good amount of Division One players every year in the state of Wisconsin. Right for the size of our state, there's a really Absolutely. good set, and there'd be a, there would be a lot. I, we only have Parkside as a D two, so there we and we have no NAIAs. I don't, right, we do, but I don't think they're Division One NAIAs. Right. Um. But anyway, so that's what I'm saying. It's like that's where the D threes in our state are. That they get the benefit. The Oshkoshes of the world get the no benefit. question about it. Bulls and the Whitewaters, and yeah. it's been that way for years in the state of Wisconsin. Right, right. Some of those guys that we had at Eau Claire, there was no question they were Division One players. Right, and there were other players in the league too that were Division One players. And okay. I'm just not saying that we had a monopoly on Division One players, but so and it's, it's so that that's why that league is so good still because there's it so is. many good players there. Um, 
and they're good schools. So what, so then what happened? So then what happened? So I graduated. I actually, I did not finish. I did not finish I, uh, at Eau Claire. I finished my degree at Western Illinois okay. because I was making the move to go work for my coach. He got the job at Quincy Notre Dame High School. And okay. so I moved down there. Um, I had to still do my student teaching. So I, I, I started my coaching career while I was student teaching. And so I, was, I spent four years at Quincy Notre Dame and had a, maybe four of the best years of my coaching career. Um, just just the, 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 the culture of that school. And it's still that way. And I have a lot of close friends still there. But I made, so I was there for four years. We had a very good basket. We had a very good program. Uh, you know, we, had, we had a couple of Division I guys come out of there. Um, but we had a lot of great athletes in the school. Our women's side, when this was an experience for me, that was unbelievable. Our women's side, uh, the girls' teams there were phenomenal. We had a girl there who was an Olympian volleyball player. She was the best volleyball player in the year, for, in, the, in, in the country for 12, in the world for 12 years. It was unbelievable. Karen Kemner. Just phenomenal. So I had, a, I had an opportunity to watch women's sports like I'd never seen it before. But right. anyway, I, from there I moved right across, right across town. Um, I went to Quincy, at that time, Quincy College. And it was the first year of Division II. They had always been an NEI power. Okay. And there was a change. And I came on late. I actually uh, came on in the fall. I wasn't, like, hired in the summer or anything. But a new coach came in to be the new coach. Uh, take over the program and it was a great experience because he was probably one of the he's probably the most patient man I've ever worked for um, because we went through a lot that first year uh, you know we re, we had a team that returned four starters from a team that finished third in the NAI national champ so there was some expectations some uh, veteran leadership good talent the day before practice started five of our guys were declared ineligible because of the NEI to NCA change the institution had not studied closely the uh, in good standing rule. And so they were academically ineligible. So we started, we went from 15 to 10 on our roster in a matter of one day. Oh my God. Um, and then in, in kind of just in the summary, we were very young from that point on. Uh, we started three freshmen and played in a really, we played a very good division two schedule, but we started the season in Hawaii and the first team we play is George with Reggie Williams and Ben Guillory and, of course, Georgetown back in the heyday. Right. So that's how we started. Anyway, that was a real learning experience for me in the aspect I've been, I had never experienced losing as a player or as a coach, ever. We were 9-9 nine at, nine at Christmas, and we finished 9-23. and 23. We never won a game after Christmas. Oh, my goodness. And we finished the season – with six healthy players. I learned a lot about patience because he never, ever wavered. He was positive every day with those kids. Now, he would construct, constructively criticize. He would correct, but he was always positive. And then fast forward, I, I left after one year. I stayed there one year, left, and went into how the long, high how long did How long did he stay? He stayed there three years. Okay. And then he went and was an assistant at Illinois State to Bob Bender. But in three, at the third year, they were ranked in the top 10 with all those kids we had. Okay. And, and part of it was because of his leadership. Yeah. Um, so I learned a lot of leadership lessons during that year. Think about that. We had six players. We had to bring guys off the street to be able to practice five on five. That's crazy. Yeah, and thankfully, we had enough former players in town 
that could still play a little bit. Right. That we were able to get something accomplished. Right. But, um, and so then what I did is, is uh, I left there and I went to Quincy Public School System and okay. took a job there as the head coach at the junior high level. The, the, the guy, the coach that was at Quincy High School is a Hall of Famer. They were kind of off their heyday. They'd won the national championship in 81. This was about 86. Um, still good player, still great program, still a great coach. Um, I did that for one year, and then we had budget cuts. We had a referendum go down, and all non-tenured teachers lost their jobs. And so I was there one year, but I learned a lot that from happened. him yeah. because of more than anything of how, why his program was successful in terms of what he did throughout the program all the way down to the seventh grade. Right. It was truly a program in terms of specific things. Interesting, interesting fact about him. And so it, we, became, we became pretty good friends and close because of our connection. He graduated from Beloit College. Okay. And played for a guy named Dolph Stanley, who all the young guys don't know who Dolph Stanley no. is. As we know, one of the greatest coaches ever. Yep. But Dolph Stanley was, the, he was his coach. But Bernie Barkin at Beloit Memorial was his – student teaching advisor that's crazy so he again he, wisconsin uh, guys talking to each other we all know who we're talking about but yeah bernie the, the blade you know, arena is so named two after guys bernie. Are two, of the, two of the greatest coaches yeah. in, in state history right as people that he learned things from. and so i so but he took a lot of those things and came back to quincy you know eventually he worked some other place but I learned a lot about, about the program about practice organization specific things that he would do and drills to get his players better individually, but more importantly, offensively and as a team. So, so let's dive into that before we keep going on your journey here. So practice planning, because people always ask about this. So let's dive into that for a second. So what do you think are keys to a good practice plan? I think number one, organization. I think number two, I think you, something I did as head coach is that we always had thoughts of the day, which okay. were really kind of objectives, you know, things we, you know, on offense, you know, the day before, maybe we turned the ball over too much. So the message, the thought of the day next, the next day offensively would be uh, take care of the basketball, play, play and balance, make, you know, those types of things. Defensively, we talked about something, maybe we had a fault about keep your man in front of you. Right. So, but also we always gave him something to think about right away. And then the, the other thing. It's that, whatever you emphasize they're going to do. Like, absolutely. I cannot handle turnovers. Like, oh, I know it like, drives me nuts. Oh my gosh. I mean, I'll, I'll, just, yeah, when I'm in the casket someday, if someone comes up and goes, they just turn the ball over, they'll know if I'm dead or not. Because if I yeah, sit, exactly right. I swear to God, I can't handle it. Oh, it's I know. Maybe it's a Wisconsin thing, but it's a Bo Ryan, it's a Dick Bent. I'd say, oh, there's no question. I can't handle it. But no. that, and, the, and they know it. So, because I emphasize it, it's like the thought of the day can be what you're, whatever you're emphasizing, they're going to do. Absolutely. Because yeah. I think it ties in you, I think. And you just, you hit on it. You're only as, you're good at the things you emphasize. Oakland University has always been, a, when they were Division Two. They, they, they were always a great rebounding. And one day my boss, we were playing him in the, in the tournament, he says, how come you're so good? He goes, because we emphasize it every single day. That's all we talk about. And so about. I think yeah. <laughs> those things tie in with, with the thoughts of the day, but also what, what other things that we, what we hang our hat on. And so, um, but I think um, energy is really important, and more importantly, energy from the head coach and the coaches. Because as you all know as a head coach, your team's only as good as you are on that day. And the, right. the one guy in the gym that can't take the day off 
is the head coach. It is. He can never have a bad day. And so I think that's one of the main focuses of a good practice. And I, you know, I'm sure you've watched, I've watched a lot of practices uh, and I've seen a lot of good ones. And I've seen a lot of bad ones. Um, you know, those three, I think those three things are really important. So, so how do you, when you, when you were doing practice planning, when did you do it and how did you do it? Like, I did it a variety of, I, I, uh, I would always, I'm a big, uh, I always took notes in practice, um, make notations. I do, I do too. Um, and then when I, when I got back to the office or got home that night, I would go back and review those again um, and go down my list of things that went well and things that didn't go well. Then the next morning when I met with the staff, then I would ask them first of all, hey, what, what did you see? Do you have anything that you saw in practice yesterday you didn't like, that you like, you did like? Hey, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that. If you want to support us, you want to help us keep the lights on here at teachups.com, go over, join, 14-day free trial, and then stop the car, subscribe, like, Apple five-star review. That would be good. All right. Maybe. Have a good day. Bye. And we talk about it a little bit first, and then we then we discuss it and say, you know, and this is what I saw in transition defense. We're gonna, and so we would do that, and then we build our practice from there. Yeah. So I, if you looked at my practice plan, first of all, I still write it out because I just like to do that rather than type it up, whatever. But it's on a piece of paper, and, and whatever. It's the same one I've. But if you looked at it at the end of practice, it's been folded, it's been crumpled. It would look like I literally crumpled up and threw it away yeah. because I'm writing on it, I'm making notes on it, I'm using it. And I, you know, it's always tucked in the back of my you know, absolutely shorts kind of thing, kind of a coach's thing. But um, it's a it's an active document is what I refer to it as. Absolutely. Um, yeah, because I'm constant. I'm, I'm the same way. It's in my pocket. It's in back of me. It's in right, my and it's like, but the but the issue is the reason is it's because I've taught for I've been a teacher for thirty years. Well, well designed plans sometimes have to pivot, and you know I'm not I'm not going to do something for eighty minutes, but I got to maybe ooh that didn't work. Maybe we got to pivot and do something new. Um, right, because so, I yeah, I, and and going off of that, I think it's very important. I think. Not an organization, but I think you have to stay true to your practice in terms of what you've scheduled, because that's what I prefer to do. I, I prefer to come back to it and fix it the next day. Right. And I work for guys, you stand there and do the thing for 40 minutes. It and doesn't work. For kids, their attention spans about as long as, as, as a rainstorm. You know, it's, no, we're, it's, we're, we're in a Snapchat world. That's absolutely. What, when so, I speak at clinics, that's what I always say. I said, we live in a Snapchat world. If the drill lasts more than five minutes, you've lost them. Like Absolutely. their attention span is like three seconds. So leave it in. And, and what I've done is I've done it and then come back to it at the end of practice. Cause I, it's like, we got it. We got to defend that screen better. Cause we're playing tomorrow or something, but right. I'll just leave it at that point. Absolutely. Um, how, do you how do you, how do you work on transitions between drills? That's always been one of the things that my I, big, my thing has always been, uh, they, our rule was always the feet had to keep moving is that you had to jog or sprint there was ever, never any walk i would mix that up sometimes because sometimes what i would do is i would call them in right. i'd bring them in and say okay now we're going to go we're going to we're going to three on three rebounding 
and this is what we're need, we need to improve in this area. And then, I'd, then I, you know, I'd clap my hands or whistle, and they'd they'd sprint to the, the lines. But I, but I, I don't like. There's two things that I don't like in practice. Three. I don't like players talking when coaches are talking, and I don't like them just talking when when things are going on because they're out of the out, off the court. I don't like walking, and I don't like sitting. Those are the three things I don't like. Do you use a whistle? I use it sometimes. I, the older I've become, I use it more because of my voice and, and, the, <laughs> and the pressure we put on our throats. I, I get that. I've never been a whistle guy. Like, I have a really deep voice, yep. and I lose it halfway through the season usually. Yep. And I, I've got – I've gone to it more now Yeah. because of the idea – it's funny, but we always tell our players, you play through the whistle. Well, if there's no whistle – Right. How do they know to play through the whistle? I, I, I don't use the whistle because I think the, the usually the whistle is blown because something's wrong. Right. It's either our players or the official. Right. Yeah. <laughs> and and I want them to be able to hear me, um, even if it's a packed gym. Absolutely. I want, I want them to be in tune. So there's no right or wrong answer to this. I, I just always ask. Absolutely. No, you're right. Absolutely. Because I've never been a whistle guy. My JV coach, who used to be a D1 um, coach was a whistle guy. Like he'd always use a whistle. It's like, whatever, it's fine. It doesn't, there's no right or wrong. I'm just, my philosophy, and this is where I stood. It's like, I just wanted them to be in tune to me. Like, cause, um, you never know in, in the fog of war, what's going to happen. And, you know, I just want them to be in tune. I don't care if they hear the whistle. Well, that, there's no <laughs> question because I think that they have to be able to hear your voice through chaos. Yes. You know, and as we know in a game, that, that's my biggest thing is I, I and again, like you said, there's no right or wrong answer. One of the things that drives me crazy is watching practice constantly stop because basketball's not played that. I was listening to one of the assistants from the Spurs here last week. She talked about how they 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 teach their, what they try to do is they they want to get their players to be able to play through things and just because you have to keep playing on. In a game, you can't stop it when you make a mistake. So I kind of have that same philosophy. Now. There's a time during that practice or at the end that I might address it, but I don't like to stop it either. I like I I don't I, I, I like the flow hear, of like we're working on something. Go 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 go. I want and then them I'll, to hear yeah. my voice or our voices as a staff, but I don't want what I don't want. And this this is the one thing that I see high school coaches and even some college coaches. You spend more time talking than you do doing. I did it one year. We uh, one of our when I was one of the years I was a Division One coach. I one day felt that we were talking too much, and I brought it up with the staff, and with my with my boss and everybody on staff. I said, "We're spending more time talking than we are," and I said, "We're not even necessarily teaching. We might be correcting, but they're spending more time standing." And so one day I I kept track of it. We had a two-hour practice, and we practiced an hour. We practiced practiced that one day an hour out of two hours. We spent an hour talking, and so anyway. Um, the point I'm trying to make is that's one. Of the, I think that's one of the keys to practice is you can't have a lot of stoppage. You, I think it's good to try to teach on the move, but also there's still a time, you know, as you all know, there's times that you have to stop. It. Well, I have to stop. I I'm, yeah, I'm dealing with kids that can't like pivot quickly. I got and, it. And yeah. The other part of that is it needs to be, you need to be uh, quick and specific and then move on. Right. And I try to get them off the court and let the other stuff go because I have enough assistance and then correct it yeah, off the absolutely. court. Absolutely. Um, but here's what here's what I've done as I've gotten older. Is I've tried to I've tried to make it like I think a perfect practice plan is really hard. And and what I try to do is like I try to get as much done 
as effectively as I can in the least amount of time. Like, I don't really want to keep them there two hours. Like, I, I want to keep, you know, I want, I, let's, let's try to get it done in an hour and a half. And then if you guys want to stay and shoot or play some two on two or do something like that, cool. But we're going to get what we need to done in this window. And it's really, from a practice planning part, it's hard to do that. And it takes time and practice and tweaking to get good at that, I think. I think so. I think, you know, I think the more we coach and the more we do it, I think we learn to be able to do it. And I think that, you know, one of the things is just the feel of the practice and the kids of knowing, like we've had, we had times this year where we, we, we felt we were starting to lose them. Right. And that's what we do. We just we blew the whistle, practice ended, and then they shot. Right. And they did things on their own. But, but we're the same way. I, that was my thing is I always thought uh, it wasn't about quantity as it was quality. Right. And, and I, I always – I learned it from my, my old high school coach. That's one of many things I learned from him. But one of the things that I learned from him was – and then my college coach is staying on track and staying on times and – and never, and, and there's the one thing they were all good at, is we never went over what, how long we were going to go. We told the right. players it was one hour and a half. We went an hour and a half. Right. Because I think you can lose kids. Oh, you, you've you lost their attention at that point. Well, so, and you've lost their trust a little bit because when you tell them we're going to go at an hour and a half and then you don't go to so the next day or whatever, you tell the kid, you can, well, is it going to be like yesterday or is it going to be like last week when he said we're going to do this? And so you get them start – we need to unclutter their minds as much as we possibly can. We don't need to give them more things to think about. We need less things. Okay, so so let's get to the point where you started. So you left that. What what was the next step? So I went to I was at Quincy. Uh, you know, I had I've and I'm going to add a little something in here and, and interject something because I think it's important, especially for all the young guys out there. But even the older guys who have been through this, there's going to be some things that happen in your coaching career or your teaching career that aren't positive. They're going to be bad. They're going to be negative things. Right. And I'll, I'm going to tell a little story quick, and then I'll get to it. But my first year of college coaching, I listened to Hubie Brown in St. Louis at a clinic. And Hubie, at that time, was the coach of the Knicks. And they just got beat the night before. It was the end of the season, and they were bad that year. And the Bucks had drilled them. I mean, just drilled them. So he comes in, and he goes, you know, it's been a rough year, uh, yada, yada, yada. Um, he says, but I'm going to talk to you today. About, I want to talk to you about – um, he gets, because you know what, next week, I'll, I might get fired next week because I might lose my job. So, so I'm going to talk to you about coaching and maintaining your job or job stability and how you, react, how you handle negativity or bad things. I'm going to tell you right now, all of you out here, there's a great chance that you'll get fired at least three times in your life. And, <laughs> and none of them will be in your control. So where I'm going with this is that, so I go from Quincy High School because of the referendum, I go to a school right side out of Quincy for two years, Payson Seymour High School. I go there for two years, um, work with a great guy, work with a lot of great people. And kids were awesome, had a good program. In the spring, I'm in my office one day, and my office was, you know, it was a small school. So my office was actually in the hallway right outside the gym. It wasn't an office. I had a desk in the hallway. That was my office. Right. Superintendent's office was connected to the gym. Superintendent walks out and gives me a pink slip. The school had purchased uh, a number of tech technology things and a number of computers and things like that, thinking they were going to get a grant from the state, and they didn't get the grant. So, again, all the non-tenured teachers were cut loose. Right. So I stayed there two years, moved back into Quincy, and, and got a job uh, at the high school. Um, new coach came in, 
my previous guy that I worked for, he, he had moved up, uh, resigned from there and moved up into Moline, Illinois to take a job there. So I was fortunate to get hired on at Quincy Senior High School. And I spent four great years there. The guy that I worked for there named Lauren Wallace, he's another Hall of Famer in Illinois. He's known for, and this is where I learned, you know, the thing that I think is you always need to try to learn things from the coaches you work from. Right. What you work for, but try to learn something that you think you're going to use. Yes. <laughs> um, coach is one of the is one of them because there's a couple of different other guys too. But he his his he's the ball press. He runs the ball press, which people in Wisconsin a lot of people may not know what it is, but what it is it's a continuous type of pressing deep off uh, defense. But it's it's a contained tempo type of press three quarters. But when you get them a certain trap in here, you trap. But when the ball is thrown to the corner, the wind goes down and traps the corner too. And so it's, a, it's a something that people aren't used to. It's hard to practice against. Okay. So, but anyway, I worked with him for what's, four what's years. What's that called? It's called the ball press. It's called the ball press. Okay. One, two, two. Um, there's a guy at Lincoln, Illinois named Neil Alexander who actually – Neil Alexander played for Lauren Wallace. Now – I'm going to give some of our guys a little history lesson here. Lauren Wallace learned it. There was, there was a gentleman named Virgil Fletcher. And Virgil Fletcher was the head basketball coach at Collinsville High School in Collinsville, Illinois. Collinsville still has the most wins in Illinois state basketball history. Really? One of, yes. One of Collinsville's players, or one of the players that coached, played for Coach Fletcher, was Kevin Stallings the old player at Purdue, and he's been right. a coach at Illinois State. And, yep. But that was his coach. Okay. But so my coach learned it. Lauren Wallace learned it from him. And then Lauren coached Neil Alexander. So now Neil Alexander coached. But there's a few guys still in the state of Illinois that use it. Um, but we had four really good years there. We had some great players. Um, and I should say great kids as well. It was an unbelievable uh, – you know, Quincy, Quincy is number – they're in the top three of wins all time in the state of Illinois. Oh, I believe that. I would have picked um, them one probably. No, we averaged over 5,000 people a game. Yeah. High school game. It's like, um, it's like, the, uh, it's like that Indiana league that has, you know, absolutely. Richmond no, and Newcastle. Absolutely. And yeah. yeah it was, so it was an unbelievable experience just because it was almost like a small college job. Right. I mean, it really was. Um, a lot of pressure, but a lot of things they helped you with to try to be successful there. Um, I left there. I was there four years, and then I had the opportunity. A couple things happened. My mom, my mom uh, became sick uh, with um, emphysema. Okay. And I was doing some. I was burning the candle at both ends when I was coaching at Quincy High School because I, I was coaching. Um, I was in the dean of students' office. Then I moved into the classroom a little bit, and at the same time, I was helping a buddy of mine run a liquor store in town. So, 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 I was, so you had like, you had like 16 side gigs, man. Yeah. Like, oh yeah. So I was, uh, <laughs> getting about six hours of sleep a night and then my mom gets sick and I'm like, you know, I can't do all this and then worry about my mom too. Right. So I had, uh, I had, I had taken what I did is I took a leave. I took a sabbatical for a year. Okay. Well, during that year, you know, like most parents, you know, she's like, you know, you need to go back to doing, you need to do what you're supposed to do. You need to go back to doing what you love. Right. I'll be okay. You're close enough. You know, 
So in the meantime, uh, one of the assistants at Quincy University leaves for a Division One job in October. Whoa. Steve Hawkins hires me. Okay. Um, and so I go there, and the interesting part about it, the ironic part of it, is I go there, and two of my former players from Quincy High School are playing there as well. So I get the opportunity to coach a couple, couple of my former guys who I had coached at eighth grade level when I was a junior high coach. Then I coached them at the high school level. Right. And now I'm going to coach them at the college level. <laughs> That's but, crazy. They, you know, not so many people do that. Years. Not many people get to do that. No, it was, it, you know, I had, my friends in Quincy joke, I'm a trivia question in Quincy because I'm the only guy who's ever coached all areas, all three schools in, in town. Oh, but, yeah. But I also coached two guys for, at three different times in my career. So, um, so I was there four years. At three different levels. That's the big part. Yeah, it was really, yeah. it was really interesting. And what was interesting for me was that the one of them, when he was in eighth grade, just played basketball because his friends did. Now, he was the biggest kid in the team. He was six foot four. He had no coordination, like a lot of eighth graders. Basketball was not his love. Farming was. He loved to be on the farm. He loved to be with his teammates and his guys. He was, he was a fun-loving guy. Well, by the time he got to the high school level, he was six foot nine. And he'd become a basketball player. And he actually signed a scholarship at Southern Illinois University. Okay. He played for uh, Coach Harry. And he didn't like it. He, he got down there and realized he was a small-town boy. Larry and Bird, baby. Us, it's the Larry Bird thing. great because he came back to Quincy. Yep. Larry, um, Larry, was, Bird, Larry Bird didn't last very long at Indiana University. No, yeah. No, absolutely. And, uh, and so it was really fun to watch Tom. His name was Tom Lepper. Um, and then the other kid, Andy Wagner, where he just continued to improve as well. Both those kids, um, with all our other guys, really, they really, our program was that we became a very good program. We won a lot of games, went to the NCAA tournament. But more than anything, they, those kids represented Quincy. All of our kids represented the program. Well, then, um, I lost my job due to Title IX. Okay. Um, we had two full-time men's assistants. Nobody else did. A couple of the other women's sports came in and threatened to sue the school. And like many schools even today, maybe not so much as before, instead of trying to add coaches or get money for the other programs, they just cut my position. And so, therefore, that led to the next – Part of my journey is that then I went to Southeastern Community College in Burlington, Iowa, one of the historic junior colleges in, in junior college basketball. And uh, I went there in uh, 19, that was 1998. Uh, 1998, 99 was my first season in junior college. And it was a, uh, my first day there was a very eye-opening experience. Yeah, so how is it different? How is it different? How's JUCO well, different than the other things that you have? Well, my, my first day on the job was different because the aspect of the type of young man we had there. Um, they were there for a reason. Um, either they were bad students um, or they were under-recruited or maybe they had done something maybe that was – you know, they didn't rob a bank or anything like that, but they just socially, they maybe have been in trouble a little bit. In terms so, we of live, so here's my, here's my observation about JUCO and, and perception of JUCO. Um, so we live in a Netflix world and people think all JUCOs are last chance you. Oh yeah. Yeah. 
I mean, that's what they, I mean, I'm just telling yeah. you. Yeah. Like that's perception. That's not reality. No, that, not at all. That's perception. You're like, right. Yeah. I'm going to go play there because I can't do anything else and look at this and blah, blah, blah. And, Absolutely. Uh, yeah. And so I go there in the first day that I'm actually with the players, we go to the track to run. And at Quincy, we ran two and we had specific times and everything. So they start out and coach says, okay, we're going to run a mile. And so we start and I'm all excited, you know, new job. I mean, I mean, cause I didn't know what I was going to do. And I had this opportunity at this great program. And, and so I'm, I am not exaggerating. We had one guy, it took him 30 minutes to run a mile. And we had three guys stop, like literally stop. Now. Okay. I could, I could walk a mile backwards in 30 Exactly. And so I'm thinking, what did I get myself into? Because we had, you know, before, you know, Quincy, we said, okay, you got to run a mile. Literally, our guys had to run a mile. Our big guys had to run a mile in 545, and they made it. Right. And, and so I'm thinking, what did I get myself into? But anyway, that was my first thing. But those kids, you know, obviously part of that was, was teaching them and breaking down barriers and breaking down walls and teaching them um, – about expectations and about accountability and uh, what it's going to take to be a college basketball player and what it's going to take for you. To, if you want it, and I said, you want to play, you know, we, if you want to play division one basketball, these are things that you have to do. You can't choose what you want to do. You have to do them. And right. so it's work in progress. And, and that first year we had a good team. Um, we had a very talented sophomore um, who went to the university of Iowa. Um, but he wasn't a great team and he wasn't a great leader. And, and we had a bunch of freshmen who, I mean, they were talented. And so we started out really well and we, and we had a good year. But the thing about it was, is what, there was a transformation from those kids from that first day and then developing relationships with them and then working with them every day. They got better at a lot of the, all those things. Right. And part of my job was I lived in the dorm with them. And, we, and it was just, I mean, it was a small dorm. There was like two hallways. Right. There was like eight rooms in each wing. Half, one side was basketball. The other side was baseball. And so you saw them, you were there all the time. So I was kind of the enforcer off the court. Right. Making sure they weren't doing things they weren't supposed to do. do. All those things. But I'd see them all the time. Right. And you were building relationships with half of coaching. It really is, and I think it's probably still to this day one of the most missed under. That's one of the, one of my biggest transformations as a coach. You know, back when I started was in the old days was just do what I tell you to do, and there wasn't there was there weren't you know my coach and I the guy that gave me my first job he's the only person that I had any kind of relationship with at all in all my years as a coach or as a player. Right. He's the only one. Right. That wasn't what they did. No. But now I think that's one of my things and my philosophy has changed so much is, is being relationship based. Yeah. And so let's go into that. Cause so let's, as we go on this journey, I'm just throwing in questions that I have. What, what is your coaching philosophy? If you well, could, if you could give my, it to my, me in a paragraph. Yeah, it's, it's really quick too. It's really short. It's not very, but because there's a lot of things that can come, come kind of feed off it. Um, my first thing is, is that I want to make, help our players become the best they can be. And that, and that covers, basketball, athletics, or academics, and socially. Try to get right. them to be the best person they can be. It's all we can ever ask of a kid anyway. Part of our job is to help them do that. Now, 
I, I, what I say is I'm just trying to make you a better citizen, a better son, a better husband, maybe someday, a better person. Like right. that's my job. Yep. The basketball, the process of becoming a better basketball player will take care of itself. Right. Like, like one, another one of my pet peeves is when people are late. Oh like, yeah. Why do, why do you, I go, because I'm trying to teach you to be a responsible person. Absolutely. I said, half of you are going to miss your wedding. And they go, what do you oh, mean? Yeah. I go, you won't, sh you'll show up on time. Everyone's just going to leave. Mm -hmm. Like, what are you talking about? I said, are you going to miss the, the birth of your child? Like you, you, time is important and it's about respect and about other people's time. Absolutely. And then I get on my whole life, life lesson about time is oh, yeah. the most valuable resource you have. Stop wasting it. Like yeah. <laughs> there's better things to do, but anyway, that's a side and note. So the, and so one of the things I always little saying, I, well, I picked it up early in my career is that, you know, I tell them that my part of my, one of my responsibilities is to make, to make uh, uh, men out of boys. Right. And that's something we always talked about. Then um, it's all about relationships because I, I heard, I heard a little something last week before you can lead, you have to serve. And by that, I mean, you have to develop relationship with your players. Your players have to know you care about them. They know they have to know that, and they're gonna to have to be able to trust you. The only way you can do that is to develop a relationship. You just can't. That doesn't just automatically happen because you're the head coach or a coach. Right. And so, um, and then with that, with encompassing it, is just then, you know, uh, competitiveness. Want to be competitive, and again, that has to do with life. You know, you have to be competitive in your to to get a good job. You have to be competitive to be successful. You have to be competitive. You have to get along, with, to get along with people too. Like, you know, and so um, those things, those are my main parts of my philosophy in terms of just trying to help young men get better at what they, where they are and make them and, and get them and help them with moving into life. And then, um, you know, developing trust and, and, and learning accountability is a big thing. Kind of what you talked about being on time. Accountability is huge. So those things all encompass that part of it. That, that's my philosophy. I, it's, it's very simple and straightforward, but there's a lot to it. And, and I tell people, I tell young coaches when they ask me about this, when they're kind of trying to build their portfolio, I said, you should, it, it, it's similar to a business model. Like I have, I have several businesses I run too. I said, I got to be able to sell my business in two sentences. Like they call it an elevator pitch. It's less than an elevator pitch. You right. should be able to tell your coaching philosophy in a sentence or two. Like Absolutely. if it, it's not going to be three pages, it's going to be, you're in an elevator, someone turns to you and says, what's your coaching, you know, philosophy? You should be able to tell them before you get from floor two to floor two, two to four or whatever. Absolutely. Um, so I love that. I love that short and precise. Okay. So let's keep going on your journey here. Um, and so, so I, uh, there. I ended up spending, I am spending, uh, uh, nine years at Southeastern community college. Okay. And, and I'm going to go back to that first. So, so anyway, we had that freshman year and, you know, at Christmas, when they went home, half of them we didn't know if they're going to come back because <laughs> you know, they're they're missing you know and they're missing home and they don't right. like it. You know, like oh man, just can't go home. Well, they all come back, but anyway, so we have that year. Well, we get beat, and there was a there was a our biggest rival was another junior college called Indian Hills, and when I arrived at Southeastern, oh, Indian Hills is a real deal. Indian Hills. And this is interesting because I haven't done it since. But my first year at Southeastern, 
they won their third national championship in a row. We got beat by them in the regional championships. We hadn't even met as a team. And we come back and we hadn't even met. And I go over into the weight room the next afternoon and on Monday and our dudes are in the weight room. Now they hated the weight room all, all in the first, first uh, preseason. They hated the weight room. They're all in the weight room. And I said to one of the guys, I said, we get, coach, we're not losing to them again. We need to get stronger. That's why they beat us. We won the national championship the next year with those guys because they, 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 didn't, they didn't like, they were, first of all, they were all competitive kids. They didn't, and that's, that was the mark of our team. Is that, which is key, which is so they, important. Yeah, they, were so, they wanted to win so bad. Right. Because we weren't the best, we weren't the most talented team in junior college basketball. We beat Indian Hills that year four times. Double figures every game, and they had two guys get drafted in the NBA draft. Hey, everybody. Hope you enjoyed that. If you want to support us, you want to help us keep the lights on here at teachups.com, go over, join, 14-day free trial, and then stop the car, subscribe, like, Apple five-star review. That would be good. All right, maybe. Have a good day. Bye. Social Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus.